0: There's been a general uh, conception in the West that human beings are superior to creatures and plants and plants are superior to rocks and this has created an obvious division in the minds of human beings, and sometimes in its more grossest form, too, um, women are inferior to men. How can we look at this world in a fresh way?
1: We can start with our bodies. We are made of matter of soil and rock sucked up into molecules organic molecules through the action of roots and going back beyond that we can say that we are made of star stuff evolving that is a not something to be ashamed of That is a wonder. That is a miracle. I look at my hand and I see four and a half billion years of life on this particular planet. I look at that with awe. I behold you, Christopher, with awe that you are the product of... This particular planet, the third one out of a medium-sized solar system, off to the edge of this galaxy, and it is the uh, interdependent arising of countless factors that have uh, wrought the adventures and the stuff through which your being has been molded and mine.
0: Now, so one one we one one way, a very important way, is to. Really look, as you point out, at the body and see the composition of the body. Now, sometimes that arises, that observation, for us spontaneously. And there's a step awe and marvel. Would you say that it would be useful and practical to really explore and reflect on the... Uh, interdependent substance, so we say, of the body and the world? Should should we make it a theme? um,
1: I'm not quite sure I understand your question. The theme of our conversation, you mean? Yes, in terms
0: of sometimes looking at the body Mm -hmm. in this way just arises spontaneously from time to time.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: It may or may not make a real difference to our perception. Therefore
1: should we well we should also cultivate. yeah that we need also we need to be aware of that and equally to be aware of the fact that we are appearing on this earth in this culture post-industrial culture after uh, millennia of uh, conditioned thought where uh, matter stuff is viewed as less worthy than mind. Mm-hmm. Where there is, it is viewed with even some contempt or some disgust, where a dichotomy has been posited between mind and matter, and one set above the other.
0: Right. Now, so here's a situation where we might say the basic realities of life show themselves as mind and matter. And in saying that we view matter less. In a less worthy way, meaning that we've made it somewhat subservient to the whims of the mind. Would you say that?
1: Yes, or? but I'd go b- before that. It is not uh, to say that the. That to, be or to say that life is. Uh, that phenomena are to be categorized as matter and as mind. Um, Already carries a va- valuation on it, um, and one is seen as. Uh, I'm just going back in our culture for a minute, yes. cause so that it's hard. Mm. It's hard to talk uh, in such abstractions. Right. Uh, we get born, we grow up, we grow up in a particular culture, and uh, in the culture in which I grew up, which was conditioned by. Uh, uh, the perennial philosophy conditioned by Aristotelian and Thomist thought, conditioned by uh, Newton and Descartes and the uh, so-called Western Enlightenment. Um, There is uh, mind and matter and the relation between the two has always been a puzzle. It's always been one of the most interesting philosophical uh, conundrums. And you have those who say that only the mind is real and matter is not. And those, those would be the idealists. Those would be the, uh, the Vedantists. Uh, the, and, and matter is maya. Matter is illusion. Or you have those, on the other hand, who say that m- mind is an epiphenomenon to matter and only that which you can touch, that which you can weigh and measure, is ultimately real. The... Um,
0: us, yes, let us, if let we take, um, in looking you and I, at this uh, relationship to life, we are, of course, quite um, culturally obsessed with matter in terms of new forms, new fashions, new technology, new machinery, new possessions, and possessed by matter by wanting to have Bigger houses, more land. So there is a tremendous preoccupation of mind with matter, both organic in terms, so we say, of having more land, and in matter m- mm-hmm. through industrial society.
1: The uh, Jungian psychologist and thinker James Hillman points out quite helpfully, I believe, that materialism can't be it often is a product of the mind's fear of matter. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mater, matter, mother, uh, that uh, a paradoxical dynamic gets set up if you polarize mind and matter. If you polarize mind and matter, and then what the to be enlightened, or to be saved, or to be self-actualized or realized, uh, that is the goal of some spiritual path, Mm. then becomes the extrication of mind from the toils of matter. Mm. And you see that in uh, a number of religious traditions. What do we... And just just by the same token, Hillman points out, This sets up a love-hate relationship between uh, the ego or mind and matter. You either want to get away from it, Mm. it's seen as a trap, and then you might want to do austerities, tapas, self-mortification, to extract yourself from Mm. matter. But it is the same uh, attitude, Hillman suggests, that leads to this materialistic uh, drive to acquire.
0: So what what's it, what's it, what is it about matter, that when we have this division that we fear? Why?
1: If we think that it's a trap.
0: Right, now some a person may say, a materialist, a hedonist, may say it's not a trap. I like matter, I like things, I want yeah. more. Why well, shouldn't yeah. I get
1: more? I agree with, um, Alan Watts, who says that, suggests that our, uh, it, the healthiness of being truly a materialist, uh, the body does not, and, and you see this in, in other creatures, the four-legged ones, mm-hmm. that uh, by and large, they don't eat more than their body can healthily mm-hmm. assimilate. They don't get sick from yeah. overeating. It is the mind's greed Mm. that makes us want to acquire more than we can use. It is uh, that much of what we call materialism, the greed to acquire, is really a mental phenomenon and is not really materialistic.
0: No. So there there is this mental phenomenon which takes place, and we might say that it appears countless human beings are socially conditioned. Into wanting more than is actually needed. That's right. And in in all of that, there's a certain. And they
1: lose touch with their own bodies. Right.
0: So in this, uh, so there's a loss of touch with the body. There's a insecurity in losing touch, and then there's a the movement to become or try to be more secure by having See? more
1: right. Money is a beautiful example of this, because you can't eat that piece of paper, Mm -hmm. you can't wear it, you can't make love to it, you can't sing songs to it, or hear it, Mm -hmm. or uh, walk in it, smell it. Uh, It is an abstraction, Uh, an example of the Mm -hmm. uh, kind of uh, psychosis, almost, that this uh, non-materialistic greed uh, is evident, say, in a Howard Hughes, who would shut himself away and shut himself away from truly sensory satisfactions, mm. to and acquire more and more money, more and more power. Mm. So sensory satisfaction uh, is not you want. You might call that materialistic. It's also uh, healthy. It's 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 part of being. We are material beings. Yes. And the yeah. greed, not the Buddha himself, in talking about greed or grasping, he pointed out that there were four kinds of greed Mm. or grasping. Only one was physical. Only one is the grasping after sensory objects. Mm. The other three that he mentioned were all mental. Yes. Grasping after ego, grasping after being right, self-righteous, views. Grasping after uh, rituals. Yes.
0: So we we see the enormous influence that the mind has on the planet, on on the body, on life in general. And then a person may say, yes, I'm becoming aware of this. I'm aware of this grasping after and all that goes with it. And I hear you talk, I read these books. I, have, I know a little bit about this, but it doesn't seem to stop the force of this grasping after. And I don't want to withdraw from the world. I don't want to become an aesthetic and go to the other extreme. What's going to contribute to changing my relationship to the world?
1: The answers are, uh, uh, it's hard to pick just one, but let's start with the uh, uh, need. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are taught that we have a lot of needs. Uh, Our our, um, culture, our conditioning, the advertising is telling us how much we need Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of uh, how we need to uh, look or to smell or what we need to drive. Ivan Illich talks about the uh, creation of needs, and much of our uh, capitalist system is built on the uh, s- fueling the engines of consumption mm-hmm. and production by creating ever more felt needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, it is very easy to fall in the notion into the uh, illusion that our needs are many. Um, here, mindfulness um, can be extremely potent, uh, a powerful friend, to be mindful when one is hungry, to be mindful when one is thirsty and or cold and also or lonely, <laughs> and to be equally mindful when one is not. Uh, as Gandhi said, the world has enough for everyone's need, but not for everyone's greed. And that we can begin to experience that, the autonomy, the the freedom that is there for us when we begin to liberate ourselves from socially uh, induced needs.
0: Yes, so one very important aspect therefore is the mindfulness and awareness of our condition, of our mental condition. What else contributes to reducing this division, which the philosophers have promoted, the uh, uh, society and sometimes the theologians and and the scholars of mind and matter, as it were, as being separate from each other, with one mind, and particularly human mind, Assuming that it has control over matter, creatures, plants, the earth, the trees, etc., etc., and this division has, has become uh, assumed to be the reality.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
0: what, what, what can mm-hmm. both individually and uh, collectively, through workshops? contributes to the breaking down of this division, which is assumed to be... Um,
1: in uh, mindfulness, um, in the Buddha Dharma, uh, a consciousness uh, is seen as co-arising with um, uh, Namarupa rupa, vinyana, na, with mind and body, with physical and mental experience. That there isn't consciousness all by itself in a pure, rarefied, uh, absolute state. That consciousness always has an occasion. Uh, and that we are therefore in a um, dialogi- in dialogue with our environment. We can never be a disembodied monad. We exist in the interaction. We are products of interaction. And we can see that not in furious frustration of, I want to be free, but I'm trapped by nature, but as a dance uh, that we can enjoy, and that is quite wondrous, that we exist in interplay, in interaction. Uh, our senses tell us that each sense gate or sense faculty of seeing, of hearing, of touching. Now, in our time, we people are actually so so um, disengaged. Have we become indeed from from the natural physicality? Uh, that is our legacy that there are uh, health workers who specialty it is to reintroduce us to the life of the senses. the Char- Charlotte silver for example with sensory awareness training uh, that uh, and, and in many areas this too the uh, people working with sound yes. um,
0: now in your in your work and travels and experience, you meet um, a number of women and men who are looking at the global situation and experiencing a great deal of personal pain as a result of what they see. Would you say that this is uh, as a result of what is actually perceived in the world or is it somehow the world is mirror mirroring what's already accumulated in the mind?
1: Both. Huh? Both. Both and. First of all, I'd like to say that I have yet to meet anyone who does, who is not in grief over what is happening, what they see happening to the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyone who is conscious today sees that there is hunger that there is inequality. Anyone who is, to any degree, awake to the conditions of the world know that uh, we cannot count on there being a future.
0: And that includes your visits to the East as much as in the West? Is that awareness the same when you go... No,
1: it's different. It's, I would say that uh, in the, among the people I've worked with in the East, suffering that they're more aware of is, is is the immediate suffering of getting enough to eat f- yes. and to feed one's family to get shelter um, by and large if one can generalize yes. Yes, and that uh, it's uh, among my uh, country people or my fellow westerners that there is uh, that a slightly different form of suffering, which is the awareness of uh, a global pain. And even among those whose, it doesn't depend on one's politics, even among those who um, say they don't, uh, aren't all interested in, in reducing armaments, or stopping the arms race, or the decimation of the rainforests, There is even there in each individual a dis-ease, a malaise, a grief that uh, we cannot count on there being a future. Everyone does see that.
0: Now, this this grief and pain, which people are experiencing in the face of what is this destination, what is happening to our planet, is it important that it does come fully into consciousness and it has an opportunity to really manifest Ah. through or are there other ways that it can be channeled?
1: I think that I would uh, like to insert Mm. that uh, for most people this pain is barely conscious, Mm. that uh, it is more experienced uh, very frequently, uh, its presence is Discernible as a reluctance, as a resistance to painful information. Mm -hmm. So that when painful information uh, is offered them about uh, the dangers of a Chernobyl or a nuclear accident of another kind or the uh, spreading of the deserts, the poisoning of the seas, etc. People block that out. There's a blocking out, a widespread resistance to this painful information. And what
0: happens on the psyche when one hears, sees the television news, the news at the cinema, the radio, the newspapers, and so forth, and this blocking out, what, what, what happens to a That's a
1: self-protective thing? mechanism uh, to protect the uh, mind from um, that expresses a fear of the mind losing control. Oh. I can't bear to think about this yeah. because I might fall apart.
0: That's a very common. Uh, right. Statement, I can't isn't it?
1: bear to think about this because I might get mired in despair, stuck in despair. I might fall in a thousand pieces. Don't ask me uh, to take it in. Uh, so there is a a fear of experiencing the. Uh, Pain that goes with this information. So,
0: what do you say to someone, Joanna, you know, who comes up and says, I, "I can't take anymore. I can't take this 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 pain that I see all around me. You know, it's just too much." What, what, how do you respond to people? I, in
1: I invite them to I invite them to breathe. To breathe. Um, that uh, I invite them, and often, and I use this in in workshops. There's a breathing meditation that is a couple of thousand years old that uh, originally developed in order to help people enhance their capacity for compassion. And uh, that's really what we're talking about. We're talking about suffering with our world. And to suffer with is literally what compassion means. Now. After, um, so I'm
0: sorry, is that saying, in you know, say you're saying, don't close off to the pain right. that comes yeah. to you? That you you can't, yeah.
1: Because to close off to the pain is to go dead inside, mm-hmm. and that is what we are seeing around us the results of an effort to close off to the pain. Because to close off to the pain, to say, I can't think about it because I have no answer. I can't think about acid rain because there's nothing I can do about it. I don't think about the arms race because uh, it uh, overwhelms me. That is a form of death, a small death. That is a uh, closing down, a shutting down. And it is precisely that which is... Um, the greatest danger that we face, of all the dangers, of all the dangers that we face, be it acid rain, environmental, military, Mm -hmm. economic, I believe the greatest danger is our denial of these dangers and our denial to think we can look at them. So we have this notion that we're so, we tend to, tend to have because of our conditioning, this notion that we're so fragile that if we look at what's happening, we'll break.
0: But it takes a tremendous, in uh, a way, courage to open the heart up to the pain of the planet. Where is it going to come
1: from? Um, I think it's quite easy. I uh, this one, but I prefer to work in groups. I prefer to work in groups, and to, uh, we need each other in this, and to say that this is, this is a very natural process. We are made for that. We are made to be uh, open and interactive with each other.
0: What gives you that assurance and confidence that we are?
1: Because making- that is uh, uh, going back to how we are constituted. Look at my hands, look at my eyes or ears. As life evolves on this planet, it grows ever more vulnerable, sensitive, mm-hmm. protuberances uh, uh, to be all the more vulnerable to the world to connect, only to connect, the better to connect. That's what we're made for, Mm. is to connect, just like the nerves and neurons in our bodies are made to connect with each other and spin complex Mm. systems. I believe we are too. I believe that that's uh, the teaching in the Dharma, that we are made for interaction and the, uh, we are not. We can, by using the breath, for example, on, in this compassion breathing, mm. we can experience that we can take in this uh, information or this p- and this pain, this and without breaking.
0: This breathing is it a long, deep breathing, a relaxed breathing? I mean, is it it's any form- kind. It's not any kind of breathing. But and so you could take, breathing. you could
1: just. Uh, It comes out of the early Tibetan Mm -hmm. uh, tradition. You don't try to breathe any particular way, but you become really focused on the breathing. And then you uh, allow yourself to be super alert to the sensations that accompany the breathing, whether they're at the nostrils, the throat, the lungs. And then as you watch that breathing, very alert and passive sort of like a, like a cat by a mouse hole just very alert very passive you notice that you're not act, you're not breathing by a choice of will by volition each time you're not deciding i'm going to breathe now nah, you find that you're being breathed yeah. so you experience it as a being breathed by life
0: now this
1: and you're being breathed by life, then you picture this as a stream of air and on or a ribbon of air and you picture it coming up through the nose down, through the heart, through the lungs, through through the throat, through the lungs, and then you picture it going through the heart and you picture an opening in the bottom of the heart through which this breath stream goes. And then it links you with all the living, breathing web of life around you, of all beings. Your breath links you like a loop with them. And then you're invited to when the images of pain, of suffering of your fellow beings, or of yourself, come to the surface of your mind. You allow that pain like a dark substance to be carried on the air stream, on the breath stream, into your very being and through your very heart. Now, you don't hold on to it, don't hang on to it, let it out through that hole, back into the healing resources of the web of life. Mm-hmm. In that, you can see that for this moment, you are simply allowing yourself to be present to it, to let it pass through your heart. That's all you're asking yourself to do, is let it pass through your heart.
0: So would we say there, Joanna, that there are three important aspects to free compassionate breathing. Um, one is to give us the, a greater capacity to deal with this suffering that we hear and see every day. Um, Another would be to deal with the accumulated suffering and pain, grief, despair that has already arisen, And the other is that the breathing contributes in a very um, real way to showing our intimacy, our organic natural intimacy with with life, our interdependence and our coexistence.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I'd add another. Mm. And that is, uh, which is, is critically important in this culture where we've all been conditioned, to uh, have a stiff upper lip and to take care of things. And particularly in my culture in the United States, where Lyndon Johnson said during the Vietnam War, our president said, don't bring me a problem unless you can bring me the solution. We tend to feel that we cannot take in any grief or problem unless we have the answer, which is backwards. That's backwards. We have to let ourselves stand naked before the situation, be expose ourselves to it before any appropriate response can arise. So, this breathing helps us quite literally to um, stop putting up an armor against that bad news, Mm -hmm. to brace ourselves. It helps us stop bracing ourselves against it, and to allow it to be intimately with us.
0: Now, one of the things in all of this is that in, see, everyday communication, or um, like a person like yourself who uh, um, travels frequently, giving public talks and so forth, and speaking about worldly issues, Ecological issues and relationship of person to planet, that quite often for the listener it only touches a little corner of their brain cells. How important in contemporary situations for communication, public talks, dialogue is it for people to engage in some kind of exercises like you just described? I think it's because of this ability to block out. Right. even even what you're talking about.
1: I think it's uh, critically important. Mm-hmm. It's urgent. Otherwise, um, we t- what we hear, the words we hear, we only remember about 5% of them anyway. Mm-hmm. So what we really need are practices. Yeah. Practices that we can, uh, in any situation, put into use.
0: But I can well imagine, of course, that, with uh, a number of people, especially if you're speaking in a public hall, that w- once you're a per- the listener is invited to do certain practices, they're going to think, well, this is a bit cookie or a bit strange or whatever. How re- res- um, receptive?
1: Well, uh, I find that. I mean, are women
0: more receptive than men in speaking in the grossest generalities again?
1: Oh. Well, I suppose that um, perhaps, but I don't find much resistance actually. The, uh, Is that I- because even of the
0: audience or because of?
1: Because of? once people allow themselves just a little bit to engage in a practice, it becomes self validating. Hmm. Uh, I often, in big auditoria and big gatherings invite people to do a version of the uh four abodes of the buddha
0: yes which uh
1: and which are loving kindness compassion joy in the joy of others and equanimity Mm. and that uh i could stand up there you know and and just uh talk about them but that's quite dull, and so I prefer, instead, to invite people to turn and use another living person right there as a meditation object. And then I talk them through how, they, how each of these four abodes could be experienced as you behold this other being. And uh, this is a practice that they can take away with them. I offer it as such. I say, now, right here in this hall, in this workshop, or in this theater room, hall, we're going to practice it, using the other person as a meditation object. But out on the street in your ordinary life, you can do it sitting on the bus, you can do it sitting on the tube, looking at someone across from you, or in the checkout line at the supermarket. And this is a way of uh, uh, reminding ourselves, practicing our deep interconnectedness.
0: Yes. So, so, in a way, as you said before, there is a situation where you perceive the greatest problem is the denial which is taking place, which prevents us from working with the global realities. And therefore, the opening up of the heart and the ways and means to do that is of primary urgen- urgency.
1: And it is right because it also addresses directly this sense of being overwhelmed. When you look at the conditions that are afflicting our planet, they are overwhelming. Mm. When I look at what's happening to our air, to with our water, to our fellow beings, to our planet, I can feel overwhelmed. What can I, one out of almost five billion people, what can I do except to just then sort of shut down or just try to divert myself? So the practice of um, this compassion, we're talking about opening up in compassion. I like to emphasize that compassion has two sides to it there is the side of opening to our pain for the world but the other side is our power to heal the world and our um it's very close to what in the buddhist teachings is called mudita or sympathetic joy that the extent to which we are open to the suffering of other beings we can be open to their resources, to their power and this can come to be experienced as a form of grace. Mm -hmm. We can look, we can train ourselves to look to other people, whether they be lovers, friends or strangers, Mm -hmm. as resources for us, people from whom we can draw the intelligence or the love or the patience or the ingenuity in the van. we're in a web of life with them and we can't solve it alone we solve it in synergy with them
0: now so in the opening of the heart there comes about a and working with the pain um, a flow of energy towards healing the planet healing oneself and healing the planet and the participation in that and you mentioned in that this concept grace. What is the grace? Where does that come from?
1: Well, grace is. Um, oh, I love. Th- I just love thinking about grace. And language is so limited. You know, of course, there's the uh, Japanese term. You know, jariki and tariki of uh, own power and other mm-hmm. power grace is the realization that you're part of something larger and you're almost being carried by it like a wave if you're surfing that you don't need to dredge up out of your own meager resources all the love and all the patience mm-hmm. and all the courage and all the mm-hmm. inspiration that you're going to need that is there around you in abundance so is there, in the love, some sense
0: is it of um, something unexplainable with our language, which arises, which in which we, as it were, gain access to resources which we may feel we don't have in ourselves?
1: Yes, I would. Uh, I, I, I would say that it is explainable. That I is. think you can explain it in systems terms. Mm-hmm. You don't need to have resource to mystical or religious language. No. Now, in the Christian tradition in which I grew up, uh, by and large, grace has come to be equated with God's action. Yes. So it's an experience of God holding me in the palm of his hand, the everlasting arms buoying me up, etc. But grace can come just as well through other people. And uh, the practice of the four abodes of the Buddha is a way in which I find that this experience can be uh, stimulated mm-hmm. or people, open people to it, of uh, opening to uh, uh, resources yes. that are uh, beyond those. For example, uh, when I see your courage in your, what you've chosen to do with your life, I could say, oh my, Christopher has more courage than I, and make me rather cowardly. And I might get into comparing mind, which is great foolishness. Or I could look with the mind of Grace, or the mind of Indra's net, and say, look at the grace man, uh, the courage manifesting in Christopher deciding to run for the Greens parliamentary seat, and say, ah, that is a resource for me too. That courage is in the web of life, yeah. which is called me into being. And I rejoice in that, uh, so that,
0: that. In that, that rejoicing, it means that the heart is open and there's um, a, what's emerging, it sounds like, appreciation and acknowledgement free from comparing
1: free from envy. There's there's no room for envy in this orientation.
0: Right. And, the, and therefore the, the, the grace is... What, what, what is the grace?
1: The grace is the um, a power abounding around me that I can open myself to and channel.
0: Right, right. So as we open and go more deeply into ourselves, then there is this access and we come into contact with such presence, such power, such uh, beneficial contacts yeah. and communications which give each one of us nourishment.
1: And yes, exactly. And you, and you don't have to stop and say, oh, um, was uh, that my idea or your idea? When we have, if we have a wonderful idea, we're we're, we're plotting some a yes. a uh, uh, affair for yes. th- uh, to to build an orphanage or something. Uh, y- was it my idea or was it yours, or was that uh, is that your courage or is it mine? Th- 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 those questions become uh, irrelevant. It's courage happening. It's ideas happening. It's love flowing. Yes. It, and it happens in the interaction, so it doesn't belong to anybody anyway.
0: Right, right, right. And, and therefore, in all of the dynamic of, of this, our connectedness and our interdependence means that we keep making contact with those, and with life, which keeps giving support.
1: Precisely, so that I would really say that uh, one definition of grace then could be this interdependence.
0: Yes, yes, right. Yeah. And so uh, an important aspect of it is that human beings whose hearts are opening do make that contact with others who are engaged similarly.
1: Right, and they can And they find that they look at each other with uh, uh, great sensitivity to the other's uh, pain, but also with exultation. Like there's a great cosmic joke. They look at each other and laugh, knowing that there is in that opening Mm -hmm. a a pulse beat, a circulation of vitality that uh, uh, brings courage. And so you can begin to dare to do things. See, you must have felt grace in that sense mm. when you decided to stand yes. for the Green ha- yes. South Ham Sea. Because yes. you knew you didn't have to have all the smarts and all the time and all the courage just by yourself. You didn't have to, no. did you?
0: No, 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 no. And the sense of others is extremely important.
1: That's the great. A wider view of That's things. grace. Yes.
0: In, in the, the um, relationship to people and how we give support to each other, we can also, of course, from creatures and from the nature, draw another grace as well, can't we?
1: Yes. One of the first times I sensed that was when I was going off to Sri Lanka and some friends of mine to say goodbye to me. I was going for a year And I knew that I would be lonely. And I knew that there would be situations I would face that I wouldn't have an answer to. And they wanted to express uh, give a benediction. And so we invented a little ritual called the web. And and my friends spoke out, uh, rather poetically as a matter of fact, the things in the web that they wanted me to be aware of that were there present for me because of my own creatureliness, because I am a part of the web of life. And so one would say, oh, Joanna, uh, you, I give you the gifts uh, of the deep diving trout who is unafraid of the dark. May you ever be fearless of the dark. Uh, Or I give you, Joanna, the gifts of the uh, uh, song thrush, who uh is lets its voice Mm -hmm. be heard Mm -hmm. Uh, may you never be fearful of letting your voice be heard so these uh, uh, creatures became uh, bestowers of gifts to me and helped me since then to see now this is way back in the lore of our species the native americans have that Mm -hmm. And we, in our Neolithic times, had that, where we could had our totems, which represented yes. a particular strength. So we arts. might, we might. Oh,
0: we just this turn this. Turn.